Trash Cinema. Hey everybody, it is Trash Cinema. This episode we're discussing a Robert Forster double feature. Uh, as you know, he passed away a few weeks ago, and I thought it was a really great time to go through his catalog and try to find some movies, uh, first off, that were worth a damn, um, that uh, were available, and that's kind of hard. It seems like a huge chunk of his catalog is very, very hard to find. Uh, so we picked... And we wanted to do something, sorry, we wanted to do something that was like pre-Tarantino, just right. so that would kind of get like what, what he was sort of less known for. Yeah, and uh, I'm Michael, that's Kersey. Hello, everybody. <laughs> hey, what's going on, everybody? <laughs> uh, so I went through the catalog, and, uh, you know, the 70s for the most part, um, he did a lot of TV, and that stuff's really hard to find. This is after, like, his initial burst from Medium Cool and, and some of the reflections of a golden eye and stuff like that. Um, I did find one called Stunts, which was shot in uh, uh, San Luis Obispo, where I used to live, but uh, the print was god-awful, so I didn't, I didn't throw that at you. It's about, um, uh, he's a stuntman, and someone's going around killing the other stuntmen while making this movie, and he's trying to figure out who it is as they're knocking off the people in his team. It's not a bad movie. Hmm, that's too bad. We couldn't find the print of that, or at least we couldn't find like, a good print of yeah, it. Yeah, it looked like shit. Uh, it's public domain. That's part of the reason why. Um, it's from yeah, the direct. That, that should that should tell you something because the uh, the quality of the other two videos also not that great. So yeah. this must have been really bad. Uh, way bad. Um, but it's from the director of a movie we discussed previously on the show, Class of 1982 and Class of 1990. Um, so at least that was action packed. Uh, so after that, um, he did the Black Hole for Disney. And then that's when he did our next movie, Alligator, which is a tongue-in-cheek spoof of sorts of, like, the uh, giant animal on the loose. You know, that whole genre that blew up with Jaws. Yeah. Um, we And we did Alligator movies a couple episodes ago, so it's unfortunate that we didn't do it then. But, um, yeah, it's very reminiscent of those. It's kind of a... I don't want to say necessarily a carbon copy because I think this one came out before those other two that we did. So oh, we did, yeah, definitely did. Yeah, the, those two were from the two thousand. Well, what, what did we do? We did Primeval and uh, shit. It wasn't like Placid. I can't even remember what the other alligator movie was. Oh, um, uh, shit. Never mind. Moving on. That's <laughs> an Australian one. It doesn't matter. It's in the rear view. Yeah. The uh, so alligator is from the writer of Piranha and the Howling. Uh, two of my favorite horror films, John Sayles, who used the money from writing all these uh, wonderful B-movies to start directing his own independent films that were not genre-oriented. Hmm. Uh, that's weird, because, um, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this one, but uh, The Howling and Prawn are great, so I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised. Well, I think this is kind of, uh, of the, I think he did about six or seven genre films in order to raise enough money for his own movies. Um, but yeah, this is one of my least favorite. What I do enjoy though, is his performance. It's very, oh, yeah. it, it's completely different than these kind of movies where it's usually about, uh, the scares and that's it. You spend a lot of time, you know, getting to know this guy. I thought it was really, um, humanizing that he's this tough cop, but he shows emotion. Like when his friend gets killed down the sewers that he's really upset. And that's usually not the kind of, uh, behavior these heroes have. It's usually stoic. And he's got like kind of a little bit of PTSD from that as well, you know. Like it's not something that he just gets over really quickly, like in a lot of action movies. It's very much more focused on 
uh, him. Yeah, and in the fact that they bring up like he's losing his hair and he's sensitive about it, I thought that was an interesting take. Yeah, uh, and he uh, gets teased throughout the movie too uh, about various things, uh, especially when he's oh, there's a giant alligator and nobody believes him. Yeah, and he's being he's being hounded by a reporter who's kind of questioning his uh, his service as a police officer. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it's about the characters that works. It's very skimpy on the actual alligator effects and blood. <clears throat> I don't know if that was intentional to kind of keep it more PG. Well, PG-13 didn't exist at that time, but try to keep it a little more uh, general audience friendly, as I guess you would call it. Yeah, I try to save a little money, too. Yeah. Uh, it's from a cheapo company. I think they only did two or three movies. They did this and Source and the Sorcerer and said, hey, we made a shit ton of money off these. And we're going to go ahead and retire off this instead of losing money on future films. Yeah. There's a sequel to this called Alligator 2, The Mutation, which was 11 years later. And uh, sadly, he doesn't show up in that one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so. Um, okay, why, though? Why was there a sequel? I mean, I know that they set up the sequel, but, I mean, it's kind of the same as, like, Godzilla 2000. Where it's like, oh, it has babies, yeah, and, but like, no, but nobody cares. That was like, kind of, I don't know, how many horror movies happened. ended with that? Like they kill the monster and then they would yeah. pan at the end to be eggs or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's kind of a stupid trope. It's like, oh, a tease for the next movie, but they all do the exact same thing. Right. The um, well, I know that it it wasn't a huge hit, but it cost so little. I think it cost like two million dollars. And it was one of these movies that was really well received on video, and it was on TV a bunch. And I think in the early 90s, studios were looking for direct-to-video sequels, you know, a franchise that someone could, um, like, you know, that they recognized, and they could do it at a much lower budget and put it out on video instead of theaters, because by then, video exploded. And it was just more um, profitable to just send it straight to video, and I think that's why Alligator 2 was uh, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I can see that. Uh, by the way, we should probably say what the plot of the movie is, but I guess we kind of already talked. Kind the, of. The plot's I, so, I don't... so simple. We pretty much explained it. Yeah, I mean, I usually don't talk about plot because I feel like a lot of times you can just go onto IMDb and look it up. But it's it's an urban legend kind of horror movie, which I always enjoy those. Um, where <laughs> I remember hearing the urban legend that this girl had bought an alligator uh, at a fair, and her parents were mad at her for getting it, so they flushed it down the toilet. And then, it, you know, it didn't die, it didn't drown or whatever, and then it got down into the sewers and survived. And it just lived off the animals down there, like eating rats and squirrels and porky, or, uh, possums and stuff like that. And, I mean, I don't know if you ever heard that urban legend, but I definitely heard that when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. And this one kind of amps that up to 11 because not only does the alligator survive in the sewer, but there are scientists who are experimenting growth hormones on rats. And they, I guess, put put them in the sewer for some reason. Yeah. Why? Well, it's also the the, right the, the dogs. That one sleazy guy kidnaps <laughs> dogs and sells them to the yeah. science lab. And when the science experiment doesn't go the way they want it to, you know, the dog dies, and it it throw this piece of shit throws them down in the sewer. That was a really hard to, uh, thing to take in the movie. That, yeah, that was that was a weird dark turn in a otherwise silly movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So. That happens, so that's how it becomes. It, it gets bigger. How it can breed with itself, I'm not 100 percent sure, but that's for the, that's for the sequels to decide. The um, 
So, well, I think it was just another alligator. It, was, it didn't breed. I think it was just yet another alligator was dumped in the sewers. I don't know how. It, uh, I, I, have, I don't remember the sequel. It's on YouTube for free, I'm sure. Um, but I think it somehow came, you know, like they did in the 90s. Everything got touched by toxic waste or something and it amped its uh, size. Oh, yeah, dude. Toxie, the toxic event is the best. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Well, Ninja Turtles as well. <laughs> a lot of toxic okay, uh, mutations there. The um, <laughs> so then it, it he accidentally gets killed while he's trying to push a uh, dog down there, and, and then people start investigating. And Rob Forster is one of the lead cops in this, and um, and he runs into it and it kills one of the other guys. That's the thing that drives me nuts is they all think he's full of shit. Well, what do you think happened to the other cop? That's the craziest yeah. thing. Well, maybe the, I think what they were trying to set up is the fact that. Um, he, his former partner had died under some kind of mysterious circumstance oh, right, that they right. never figured out. So they're thinking that maybe he killed the, the guy. Yeah. And then there's some political stuff and mob stuff mixed in there and it's kind of just to add layers to it, but it's not necessary. But I, I what I do enjoy is the, I thought the finale was fun. Like the, the alligator gets loose and you know, they had no money. So they just show the head. Um, and then, you know, like in, in like a forced perspective, and they had that giant fucking robotic tail that they swung around and did some serious damage. Um, yeah, that that was fun. I, I I miss movies like that where they had to kind of compromise or be slightly more creative instead of just making a terrible CG monster. Yes. Oh my God, I it's can't stand the era of CGI, low rent CGI. Yeah, I mean, as ridiculous as this is, I I would take this over uh, whatever like CG alligator any day. Yeah, and I thought the showdown at the end was pretty cool, especially when they throw in that little bit where he gets trapped under there when the bombs are about to go off. And the old lady's just like, move your fucking car! <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> You're over the manhole! <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people get it wrong in the movies, and they get it right in this, is manholes weigh a ton. They don't yeah. weigh like 10 pounds, because cars hit them, and they can't just bounce up. A... So in movies where they just grab it real quickly and move it, I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's a good point. I didn't even notice that. I'm so used to movies where people can move those things like they're nothing, like Escape from New York, which is a great movie, but they do that so often that I'm just kind of numb to that. Yeah, the uh, I kind of I kind of like the very tiny subgenre of horror movies that are set in like underground and like the sewer area. There's not many of them, but they're always kind of interesting. Have you ever seen Chud? Uh, cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller. I have not. Yes. But I am. I, I really want to. That okay? Well, yeah, we're, we're gonna do that one. And Chud. And there's Chud too. Bud the Chud. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I just like when you say that. It kind of reminds me of Chet from uh, from uh, Weird Science. Yeah. It turns into that pile of shit. That's kind of like what I picture a Chud is. I wish it was. Uh, yeah, it's not, it, it's a giant mutant zombie thing, it's it's weird. And then the second one, they had no money, so they couldn't do the giant mutant part, they just did zombies. <laughs> but if it was, oh, okay. if it was Chet, the, you know, whatever, just a whole bunch of piles of shit jumping around going, <laughs> <laughs> Chet the Chet, dude. Uh, <laughs> why am I not a writer? <laughs> yeah, so I, I say this one is a definite checkout for, for mostly it's, uh, just the, the, except for that one dark moment with the dogs. It does have a lighter tone. It has practical effects, and Robert Forster's uh, performance is really enjoyable. I'm not a huge fan, but I mean, if you're interested in seeing kind of his older movies, this is not a bad. It's not a bad choice because I mean, he kind of is definitely the best part of this movie. Yeah, I think I think it's the authenticity that he brings to every role, and most of the movies that he would do after this 
most of them are fairly low rent at best. And sometimes he was even relegated, not even as a lead, that he started moving down to smaller parts. But he always showed up to earn his paycheck. I, I fucking hate actors, so as their careers are going downhill, they don't care anymore. And I think that's why he yeah. had his comeback, is because he still cared no matter what it was. Yeah, like he just kind of loves acting. Which reminds me of the episode we did last time with uh, Dennis Miller and how awful that was. Yeah. So it's like the opposite. Yeah. I mean, if they had cast him as a lead, he, he would have at least given a hell of a performance. But, um, yeah. so the 80s are weird for him. Uh, this is when he started doing, like, full-on, most of it's just Grindhouse. He was the villain in Delta Force. That was a kind of a high point, I guess, if you like Chuck Norris movies. I know you don't. <laughs> no. No, but his performance is great in it. He's the only one that's really, like, bringing his A game. And he was in a movie I was going to recommend. This was originally going to be three pictures. And the other one was called Peacemakers, where it's two aliens come from outer space and one's hunting the other one. But you don't know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy, and they keep playing around with that. But here's the thing that kills me. The guy who stars in it fucking blows. He's a terrible, terrible actor. And then they give Robert Forrester almost no dialogue until the very end of the movie. Why cast him if you're not going to go play up to his talents? Because the dude can handle dialogue. Sure, you know, like, why? what's the point of casting one of the most charismatic actors of all time if you're just going to have him stand there and do nothing? Yeah, it's, uh, but one of the movies that people bring up a lot when it comes to his exploitation films is Vigilante, and that is an easy go-to for me. I don't really care for it that much, but if you want to see, like, a flip side of Vigilante, it's our next movie, Walking the Edge. Mm-hmm. This, this one kicked ass. Yeah. It's okay. So, have you ever seen Vigilante with him and uh, Fred Williamson? No, I'm aware of it, but I haven't seen it yet. It came out the year or two. I think it's two years before this one, and uh, his family gets killed, and he uh, uh, kills one of the guys involved with it, and he ends up going to jail, and he teams up with someone else, and he gets tougher, and he learns how to fight for himself. But on the, uh, it's, it's whatever. It's just he doesn't give him much to work with. It looks really great, like they really cleaned up the prints, but how it's made is so generic that I just didn't give a shit. Now, Walking the Edge gives him so much to play with. Now, this is one that has not been talked about. It got dumped like on eight screens and disappeared for a long time. So to give you a plot rundown, it's almost the same exact plot as Vigilante, except instead of him being the uh, protagonist getting revenge... It's Nancy Kwan, whose family is caught up... No, her husband's caught up in some sort of mobster deal, right? Or low-rent gang deal? Yeah. And uh, they end up killing her husband, killing her son, and she escapes. But she knows where their headquarters is. They have a a fake front where they work on cars, but they're actually just dealing drugs and stuff like that. And she gets revenge. But the realistic point is the fact that she's in over her head. She shoots one guy, but then realizes, what the fuck am I doing? And she panics and yeah. runs, and that was an interesting. Moment. And she and she just basically starts shooting, but then she doesn't she doesn't hit shit for the for the rest of the for for the rest of the bullets. Like she runs out and like doesn't hit anybody else. It was just like one shot that she like one clear shot she had, did it panicked and didn't know what to do. Yeah, and and the thing is is that she hires a cabbie. I can't remember why she hires a cabbie. Is it because she wants to be incognito? Well, she wanted to be able to get there and get out quickly. Okay. Um, so it would be it would be less suspicious, I guess. So Robert Forster is uh, 
the cabbie and he doesn't know anything that's going on and his reaction when it does go down is hilarious he's just like what the fuck lady what did you get me into they're shooting at me (laughs) it's like it's like a a buddy cop kind of thing almost uh except the comedic relief is actually interesting and has a lot of character development yeah And, and the funny thing is then the movie kind of moves into a different thing where Unless I missed it, they don't really say who he was before he was a cabbie, and I, I probably missed it because I have the attention span of a baby. There, there, there was some kind of there, there was some scene that he was talking to a guy. I think there was like some kind of illegal activity that he was involved in. Um, I, I it kind of reminded me of uh, the first Rocky movie uh, where you know he had to go collect money, and he's a big dude, so everyone expects him to kind of be the tough guy, but he kind of has the heart of gold kind of yeah. thing going on. Um, which was interesting because at the end of the movie, he kind of used that um, and started you know, to intimidate people to pay up, um, it, it, which was interesting because he, you know, he kind of like reached that potential, but for good, not for not for, you know, to help this woman, but not to help um, the drug business that he was involved in. So I really liked that. Yeah, it's it's slowly revealing that he has a skill set beyond being a cabbie. And the story does change a bit where she kind of sits back. She's no longer the lead. He becomes the lead while she stays back at his place. And she's hiding from you know anybody trying to find her. I thought it was really funny, the little character piece with the nosy neighbor who's really irritating. And he's like, <laughs> what's going on in there? I hear noises. Do you have a oh, friend? I'm supposed to watch the football game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, that adds an element to him, too, because he seems like the kind of guy who's also very lonely and also put upon by his neighbors, and so when they're like again the sorry go ahead uh, that you know just asking him to come and do favors for them or just watch TV with them whatever he's like the you know jack of all trades of that neighborhood. Yeah, and that's another thing that I really like about his character. Again, the idea of him sort of being like in the drug business and being kind of an enforcer in a way, but also just like this guy that everyone loves and he. Um, enjoys helping people. Yeah, but when it when it does turn and he gets his revenge, or I, he's not really getting revenge, he's just putting a stop to whatever's going on. You're like, yeah, this dude's a badass. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it, it was uh, it was fantastic. I, I I loved it. Yeah, it's just so strange that movies like this would be picked up after because it was shot in '83, but it sat on the shelf for two years. And this nothing company picks it up and just dumps it like in a couple like grindhouse theaters and drive-ins probably. And then you know I don't even know when it hit VHS. I discovered it when it was finally you know uh, cleaned up and put out on DVD after 20 years. So the movies like this fall through the cracks all the time. And I, I think this one is definitely the one you need to go find. And we we got it we got it for free on YouTube. So <laughs> someone saved it there. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we're poor. I'm not paying for movies if I have to if I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing that a person did, so now everyone can watch it, which everyone should. Yeah, there's so many movies in his catalog after this, though, where they'll probably pop up again on this. Like, he was in the Maniac Cop sequels, he's in Uncle Sam. Have you ever heard of Uncle Sam? I'm not sure what's it about. I haven't seen it in probably a couple decades, but I remember it was a crazy guy who dresses up like Uncle Sam and goes around killing people on 4th of July, and he's a cop trying to stop him. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the, um, but, of course, you know, Jackie Brown's the one that basically saved his career, and after that he would bounce in and out of really clever independent movies and studio fare 
never really going back to the grindhouse stuff again. And he paid his dues, I think. You know, if you show up in these kind of movies yeah. and you show it the respect, like you honor me by offering me a role and paying me to play. You know, and if the movie's ridiculous, I'm still going to play within those rules. I'm not going to show up and go, that's bullshit, just give me my fucking money and move on. And I think that's why people rewarded him later. What, what Quentin Tarantino saw in him is the solid performances in these kind of movies. Yeah, it's it's a kind of an unfortunate case of an actor who was appreciated way too late. Well, it could have been never. I've seen some actors never that's get true. their due, and I'm like, that's a good performance. Anybody ever going to say, oh, he died, crap. So I, at least there's that. Yeah. Um, I guess that's about it I want to say about uh, his career. There, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, but there's a lot of garbage, but he's never bad in any of them. No, I mean, even in uh, Alligator, which I did not really care for, uh, he's fantastic. He's all, he always is. There's a, there's a movie he did right after Jackie Brown when everybody started going, he's the greatest thing ever. Um, he's only in five minutes of it, and usually it upsets me when he dies in a movie. This movie is so bad, I'm so glad that he got out of it after a couple days of filming. It's called Supernova. Have you ever seen this? No, what? It's a big sci-fi movie with James Spader and Angela Bassett. Francis Ford Coppola produced it. And it cost, I think, $90 million. And it got reshot and reshot and reshot. And then re-edited, re-edited, pushed back over and over and over. And by the time they were ready to release it, the director, Walter Hill, took his name off of it. And it got dumped in January and made like $12 million. <laughs> it's terrible. Suicide Squad of its day. Yep. Yeah, it's, oh, God, it's one of those mess movies. But he dies like in the first five minutes. Like, what are we going to do without our captain? And he's just like, ah, paycheck, thank you, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is about it. Uh, I don't know what we'll do for our next movie. we got a long list here of stuff I want to do. But what do you have in mind? You haven't, you haven't, picked, you haven't picked anything lately. Well, like I was saying, I, I would love to, because we've pretty much done every genre, oh, right. uh, but we haven't really done in comedies. I would love to uh, unearth some uh, out there comedies, like Meet the Stupids was mine, and you were saying that maybe like a Tom Arnold. Yeah, I did finally find a Carpool. I found Carpool, which is Tom Arnold in charge of a bunch of kids, so we'll see if that's going to work. Um, oh, God. There's no. Pauly Shore movies. <laughs> I have Pauly Shore movies on my list here. <laughs> Like you know, you know, the, you know, like the last couple of Pauly Shore movies before his career completely collapsed, where it was like Biodome and uh, Jury Duty and stuff like that. I had a list here of yeah. everything. There's one I wanted to do called it. It's a Laser Blast, Light Blast, and Blast Fighters. <laughs> what is a blast anyway? Oh, here it is. Here's our list. Yes, we have Tom Arnold. I have the Grindhouse movies, the Blast movies. Movies that had the word cyber in it. There's like 30 of those. There's got to be a couple really <laughs> shitty cyber movies. Uh, Mad Max Robots. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry, you said a couple bad cyber movies? Like, find me a couple good cyber movies. That would be the harder thing to do. Oh, uh, you know what? Okay, that's actually a better idea. Let's find some that were dumped like in theaters or straight to video that are actually worth a damn. Okay, that's the challenge right there. I've got a lot that, of movies that's to watch. A good one. Okay. Uh, we have Mad Max ripoffs, uh, Vietnam uh, exploitation films, uh, Spawn. I wrote this down. I watched a movie that's oh, okay. Yeah. I watched a movie that is the same exact plot as Spawn. It was an Italian comic book called Faust, Love of the Damned. I watched ten minutes of it. 
I said, this is the most insane shit I've ever seen. I have to tell Kersey about this. <laughs> that sounds exactly like what I want to see. All right. So that's some ideas of what we'll do next. But I'm, I'm going to try buying two Tom Arnold movies. That's what I'm going to try to do next. Okay. All right. And that is it for us, everybody. Uh, check us out on Facebook under Video Night. And uh, Kersey set us out. All right. Say trashy, kids. Ba-dum-bum-bum.